I believe in God, specifically. I do believe in God. I believe in the God. Yeah, I do believe in him. Yeah, sure, I believe in God. Because we're standing here. Yeah. All right? Because the sky is blue, because he created heaven and earth. It doesn't matter on if you can see it or not. Like, we can't see the air that we breathe, yet we know it's there. It's just something I grew up with, believing. I mean, everything happens for a reason, so you have to believe in something. Full of love and grace and forgiveness. I think he's kind and benevolent and, and cares for us. He's a good dude. Yeah. You know, he's tries to do the right thing all the time, tries to help us out. Very caring and non-judgmental. I think he's like a father figure almost, you know, like a driving force, like someone to live like, you know, like my dad, like have like a moral compass almost. He's like us. I don't know. I wonder every day. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us, one of our venues here at Long Point or... Uh, in the uh, online or uh, on an off-site campus. We're glad that you guys are along too. Beautiful day here in paradise, in the low country. Um, hey, let me ask you a question. How many of you have kids? You may have kids? Okay, kids. Okay, how many of you, like, if you don't have kids, you've babysat a kid? How many? Okay, how many of you that maybe don't have kids or babysit a kid, you know a kid? Anybody know a kid? Okay, <laughs> we're all common ground here. Kids are cute, aren't they? They really are. I love, I love how they pray. You know, we've got 14 grandkids, and when we go out to eat, uh, you know, adult prayers are just boring. They just are, you know, just kind of, but kids, now they can go after it. You know, sometimes they'll do one of these ones that they've learned, but it's best when they do, you know, kind of just spontaneous, this is us, you know, they'll go forever. Ours will pray for, you know, mommy and daddy and papa and grandma and all their cousins, that takes a long time right there, and then they'll pray for, you know, God and Jesus, and they never do get around to the food, but it's interesting just to listen to them. You know, there have been books that have been written on, you know, children's prayers. Uh, one, one guy was, uh, quoted a little girl named Sadie. He said, dear God, thank you for the baby brother, but what I prayed for was a puppy, you know. <laughs> or how about this one? Uh, little Liam says, uh, Dear God, we read that Thomas Edison made light, but in Sunday school they said you did, so I bet he stole your idea. <laughs> Plagiarism right there. And so uh, Jermaine says, Dear God, maybe Cain and Abel would not kill uh, so much if uh, they had their own rooms. It works with me and my brother. <laughs> uh, that's cute, but it's not cute. It is not cute when your six-year-old stumps you with a theological question. Have you ever had that happen? You know, your six-year-old says, if God made everything and everybody, then who made God? Or how about this? How come we can't see God? Or how about this one? Why does God let people die? Why did my puppy die? What do you do when that happens? What do you do? Uh, go ask your mother. You know, she knows those things. <laughs> I'll do the hunting questions, you know, football and all that. Yeah. Or we'll ask Pastor Greg. That's what we'll do on the weekend. He has this direct thing from God, and he knows the answer, and we'll just ask him. Or, hey, let's Google it. That's probably not a bad idea. But in this series, 
we're calling it uh, My Friend Wants to Know, we're trying to answer some questions. We ask you guys to give us your hard ones, and you have. I mean, tons and tons of them. We're not going to be able to answer all of them. It's got about a four or five-week series. What we'll do is uh, we'll get as many of them as we can uh, during the weekends, and then we'll probably do some social media stuff, and and, uh, we may not get to all of them even that way, but we'll do the best we can. But last week, Joshua dealt with the end times and your questions about the end times. This week, my assignment uh, uh, is to deal with apologetics. And you say, well, that wasn't a question. No, but it's just kind of a, a category where we deal with uh, just who is God? Some of your questions were about, does God really exist? And then a lot of questions about, is God good? So I want to take those two and uh, we'll kind of divide them in, in that way and, and handle the questions. Uh, some of you, this will be kind of, parts of it will be a little bit rudimentary. I think parts of it will be really eye-opening. Uh, for, for some of you, I think it's going to be life-changing as God uh, kind of narrows the light of the Holy Spirit uh, into, into our lives and into our spirits uh, on some things that maybe we have doubts or hurts or things that uh, don't allow us to be close to Him. So here's, here's I'm going to divide it in two, two segments. And here are the questions for the first segment. Evolution. There are a lot of questions about that. Can it work hand-in-hand hand with creationism? How do we explain to non-believers that man was divinely created by God without sounding crazy? And what that's saying is I want to believe, I know I believe, but there are some things that are a little hard, I was taught this, how do I handle it? And it comes down to basically, is there a God? And if there is, how did he create the, how did he create the earth? And then here's kind of a fun one. Uh, where are the dinosaurs in the Bible? My friend who happens to be an eight-year-old living in my home uh, wants, to, wants to know. And so let's just jump into some of this a little bit. So how did the world come to be? How did the world come to be? Bible says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then six days, and he created it. Or did he? Um, are there just two options? Either God did or God didn't. Can a Christian believe in God and evolution? These were some of the questions that came. What are my options? So let's, let's take a look. What are the options of how the world came to be? So this is my picture of the world, okay? It's without form and void, and that's the easiest way to draw it. So what are the theories? What are the theories? How did it come to be? Well, the first one is what we call atheistic evolution, atheistic evolution, and that's Darwin's natural selection. Darwin was a believer, uh, became an agnostic atheist, and, um, and he came up with, very smart man, and he came up with a way of uh, explaining creation without a God. Thus, we call it atheistic, no God. And basically, it says there's no God. Life can and did emerge naturally from pre-existing non-living building blocks, under the influence of natural laws like gravity, although the origin of those natural laws are not explained. And so that's what you learned in school, atheistic evolution. There's, there's a, another theory called theistic evolution. This one was uh, formed in the 1800s, so was this. And this was formed kind of as a response from some thinking Christian scientists who said... Um, we would agree that the world is older 
than what the Bible says. Bible, if you read it literally, will say that it's about 6,000 years old, somewhere around there. But we cannot buy that there was no creator, there was no God, and so they said, there is a God. And there's a couple of forms of theistic evolution. One says there's a God, and God created kind of the stuff of which we all evolved out of, and then he kind of stepped back and let it happen. Uh, another form says, no, that's not what happened exactly, because there are some problems, there are some major gaps with the atheistic um, uh, evolution theory. And so in those gaps, God reinserted himself and miraculously uh, made, for, for instance, single cell to multiple cell, non-complex to complexity, which are things that are, you, you just can't explain with this theory, that God stepped in and was part of that, but the evolution went along with it, okay? So that's a theory. Here's another one. It's called the gap theory. And the gap theory showed up at about the same time, and, and uh, theologians said, well, you know, maybe the world's older than we think that it is, and here's, here's what may have happened, is that there's a gap between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2, okay? Genesis 1-1 says God created the heavens and the earth. We read that. And Genesis 1-2 says it was without form and void and goes through the whole story, the six-day creation. And so what they say is, is that there's a gap there, and that gap is millions of years. And actually what we're reading about is a recreation after a previous a previous fall, uh, prob probably caused by Satan uh, falling from heaven, okay? So gap theory. Here's another one. This one's called the day-age theory, day-age theory. And what it means is the Hebrew word for day, the 24-hour days, the Hebrew word for day can it be interpreted as more than just 24 hours. It could be a period of time. It could be an age. And so people who believe this believe that God created, and he created in ages. Uh, the first day was what? Uh, light and darkness. Second day, water, land. Third day, vegetation. And, but those days were long ages, and they could have been millions of years each, which allows for an older earth theory. All of these do. The uh, next one is apparent age theory. And what this says is that God made the earth to look older than it is, kind of like some of you, okay? <laughs> yeah. Some of you, God made you to look younger than you actually are, which we hate you, okay? It just, that's not fair. It's not right. But here, let, me, let me explain this one. Let me explain this one. So, so how old was Adam when he first appears in the Bible? Oh, nobody knows. No, we don't know. One day... When somebody said one day, it was his first day, but, but he, he didn't look like other one-day-olds, did he? He looked like a full-grown man. So the theory is, is that God created Adam to look older than he actually was, and he could have done that with the earth, too. The earth is actually young, 6,000 years old, but it looks like it's older, so that's a theory. Here's another one. A punctuated 24-hour theory. Punctuated 24-hour theory. That's real similar to this one. Uh, except for it's not so much in the uh, evolution range. It's, it's that God took the first day and he created. And then there was a period, and there may have been a million years. And then another day of creation, period, million years. It goes on like that, okay? 
Then there is the scientific creationism that we hear a lot about these days, and it holds to a young earth model. In other words, Bible says around 6,000 years, that's how old the earth is. And what it says is that the, there are unique characteristics of the flood. Remember the flood, Noah? Flood, flooded the entire earth, according to this theory. And it compacted and impacted geology, making the earth seem older than it is, and it allows for a literal interpretation of Genesis 1. And then you've got 24-hour interpretation. 24-hour interpretation. That's the most traditional of all of them. It's 24-hour interpretation holds that God created all of the universe in a space of six regular solar literal days like you read in Genesis chapter 1. Okay, so there are all of these interpretations. And by the way, these are all Christian people that believe this, Christian interpretations. So which of these, here's my question. It feels like a classroom, doesn't it? Yes, Professor Greg, what's next? Okay, here's what's next. Here's what's next. What requires the most faith? Which one of these requires the most faith? Think about that. Here's what I'll tell you from my point of view. It's this one right here. Requires the most faith. Why? Because it is evolution, creation, apart from God. That there was no original designer. Here's where it falls apart. Lots of places it falls apart for me. Um, one is when I look at the human eye. You know, I am a amateur, very amateur photographer. So I got some cameras and lenses and all of that. And I don't have a camera or a lens that will even come close to doing what the human eye does just naturally. And the idea that that was just like random mutations and just boom, ap happened over time, just that's a leap too far for me. Let me, let me tell you another one that helps me is, is when I think about my hands. Let, let me ask you if you, any of you have ever done this. So I came home from, the, from work the other day, and I'm, I'm, I'm in my Jeep, and I drive up to my house, and there's some house cleaning that needs to be done in my Jeep. It looks like I've eaten lunch there, maybe breakfast the day before, you know, so that kind of stuff. And so what I do is I, I take my Starbucks cup, and I put it between these two fingers, and there's some trash, a bag, and I put it there. And then I've got some very important mail and so I, I put that right there and something else right here that I need to bring in. And then over here on this hand are some articles of clothing that I've left in the, in the, the Jeep. And then uh, I've got my keys, two or three other things. So I'm walking like this. And I thought, well, I'll go to the trash can. So I go to the trash can and I open it with my elbow and my shoulder like this. And I put my hand in here. My brain tells the proper fingers to drop the unimportant things in the trash can. Not the important mail that I've got includes government tax information, which probably should be dropped in there also. But, and if any of you guys ever done that, when I do that, I go, there's a God. How in the world can your hand work in synchronization? Is that even a word? No, but this is the last service I'm going to do live right now. But synchronize this with your, with, your, with your brain, see? How can complex structures arise via random mutation without a God to produce... Um, you know, incredible things. That, that's a leap of faith too far for me. Let me illustrate it like this. Anybody know what this is? This is, this is words with friends for old people. That's what this is. It's Scrabble. Okay? And so 
And this is a bag of Scrabble tiles, okay? And so believing all of that would be like me taking these Scrabble tiles which have letters on them and let's just, how about we just, oh, you thought I was going to do it and I didn't. But what if I didn't? What if it just randomly created this work of literature? That's about what it takes for me to have faith and believe this right here. Now, if you would like further information on that, like somebody was saying, hey, I've got a 12-year-old and they're really interested in this. How can they learn more? Lee Strobel's got a great book called The Case for a Creator. The Case for a Creator. Here's the last thing I want to say about this. If you attend school, your middle school or high school or your college or postgraduate, do not let an atheistic professor or teacher bully you into thinking that this is the only sound way to think about these things, okay? Because it's, it's just not so. It is, it, it, there are problems with all of these theories. Why are there problems with all of these theories? Because we weren't there, and we don't know, and we discover all kinds of things as time goes on. But you don't have to bury your intellect to believe that there was a God who was a part of creation. So, which one do I believe? No, I'm not going to say. I'm a, today I'm an aggregator of information, not an arguer for a point of view. Let's just say I believe one of these over here. And I've studied this a lot. It was one of the things that brought me to Christ. I didn't always believe. Okay, I mean, I was raised in a great home, but there was a point in time where I thought, is God really real? And I had to go through a whole process for myself, and I'll talk to you about that a little bit later. So what, what, about, what about dinosaurs? Your, your child says, where are dinosaurs in the Bible? They've just learned about dinosaurs. They love them. Where are they in the Bible, Mom? Where are they in the Bible, Dad? Well, it depends. It depends. If you believe one of these theories that's the old age, the old earth theory, whoop, 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 go back, go back. I did that. Okay, um, uh, where are we at? like theistic evolution, gap theory, day-age, punctuated 24-hour theory. Those are old earth. In other words, the earth is older than millions of years. If you believe that, then they're way back before Adam. If you believe the young earth theory, which is the 24-hour scientific creationism, the parent age theory, then, you've, then dinosaurs probably went extinct around the time of the flood, either during the flood or just after the flood. Remember, the flood was Noah. Now, we do have a possible spotting of a dinosaur in the Bible, and it's in the book of Job. Now, before we read it, tell me what you know about the book of Job, huh? Did you know that Job is the oldest book in the Bible? It doesn't mean it happened first, but if you read a chronological Bible, which is the order in, <clears throat> in which it was written, and you do a one-year Bible study, that explains why you will be depressed all during the month of January. Because Job is the first book written. It's the oldest book, but it doesn't fall in, the, in really the time order before Genesis, because Genesis has some history in it, including the beginning. We believe that Job lived <clears throat> either right after the flood or a long time before Moses came to be. That's the kind of where Job lived. And let's see what he wrote. God is speaking. He says, look at behemoth. Say behemoth with me. Look at behemoth, which I made along with you and which feeds on grass like an ox. 
what strength it has in its loins, what power in the muscles of its belly. Its tail sways like a cedar. The sinews of its thighs are close-knit. Its bones are tubes of bronze. Its limbs like rods of iron. It sounds like it's describing me. It ranks first among the works of God, yet its maker can approach it with his sword. It's talking about this huge creature. A lot of people look at that and they say, well, it's talking about an elephant or a rhinoceros or maybe a hippopotamus, but they all have little tails. This one has a tail like a cedar tree. What has a tail like a cedar tree? A dinosaur. A dinosaur. Why isn't it called a dinosaur? Next question right here. What to tell your eight-year-old uh, that lives in your home about dinosaurs. I just included this so that you'd have it. We don't read about dinosaurs in the Bible because the word dinosaur wasn't used until centuries after the Bible was written. When was it used? In the 1800s when they discovered the first bones. And they said, oh, that's big. We don't know what to call it. Let's call it a dinosaur. That's a long time after the Bible was written. So you're not going to have the word dinosaur in the Bible, even if that was one that we spotted earlier. Also, the Bible is not written to tell us everything. It's not a science book. It talks about people and God's plan for our lives. All right, so that's what you can tell your kids. Three most important things that you can believe and learn from what we've just talked about. Three most important things that you can believe. Here's number one. Decide what you believe about creation. Make a decision. Decide. There are a lot of options. Don't let, you know, well, I don't know if the... If I can believe, no, don't do that. Go on your own. For, for many of us, we don't have to worry about it. You read the Bible, you got it, six days, I'm fine with that. I'm good. And if you are, that's awesome. That's called faith. Now, if you, if you have to think beyond that, don't allow your doubts on that to keep you from God. Make a decision. Study it. I did that. And you can, you can, uh, you can come to a conclusion. Yeah, anything's going to uh, require faith. Secondly, determine not to judge others for their belief. I see this all the time. In the internet, I see it in conferences and stuff. Somebody will take, all of these are Christian beliefs that were over here on this side, and, and somebody will go, you can't be a Christian and believe that. And you go, really? Who, who left you as God and judge of the universe? You know, how have you have plenty of stuff to judge in your own self that you don't have time to judge other people? Anybody have that going on? So, listen, determine not to judge others for their beliefs. Number three, dedicate yourself to the essentials. Commit, focus on, make the main thing the main thing. Well, what are the essentials? Someone said in essentials, this describes the church. In essentials, we have unity. In non-essentials, we have liberty, and in all things, we have charity. Let me talk about that a minute. Um, essentials are, are hills that you'll die on. It's, it's things that you'll bleed for. And in any family, any church, any organization, you have three basic lists. You have things you'll die for. You have convictions that you believe strongly about. But you won't die for it. You can have people in the organization that believe different things about that. And then you have preferences, like I like blue, you like red, whatever. It doesn't matter, okay? Now, if you have a large list of things that are absolutes that you'll die for, that you have to have unity on, this is what I can tell you about your organization or your church 
or your family or whatever it happens to be, it's going to be a very small group of people. Because the more things you add, the, 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 the more chance there is that there'll be people that believe different things on it. And you'll be very pure, but it'll be very small, and it will tend toward legalism because somebody's got to keep the rules, okay? If you have a small group of things that are absolutes, here's what you have. Large organization and a little bit messy, and that describes Seacoast. And we've done that from the very beginning. It's one of the reasons that we're so large. We have a very small group of essentials. Let me tell you what they are, okay? I'll just give you a broad brush. Number one, there is a God. God created everything. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We, we have a unity on that. He came and he lived and he died and was buried and rose again for our salvation. We believe that. The Bible is God's word, okay? Those are some essentials, and we have unity on that. On other things, we have liberty, including how the creation happened. You can believe a lot of different things about that, as long as it's, it's a, a God, God at the top of it. And in all things, we have charity. Now, this is just a basic principle of life. It's bigger than God's, you know, is, is there a God in all of this? It's about everything, and that's this. This, is, this may be one of the few absolute, total, uh, original things, thoughts that I've ever had, had it, and it drives my life. It drives our church, and that's this. Maturity is measured not by what you know, but by who you love, okay? A lot of people think somebody's mature, they know a lot of things. No, the Bible says it's important to know things. Knowledge is good, but knowledge also puffs up, can make you proud. Maturity is measured by who you love. Jesus said, that the most important parts of the Old Testament was this, that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, body, and strength, and that you love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So maturity is measured by how am I loving God, how am I loving myself, how am I loving people like me, how am I loving people who aren't like me, and how, how am I doing it people, loving people who don't like me? Okay, and I'll do a whole series on that sometime, thinking about it right now. But maturity is measured by who you love. And so in all things, we have charity. So what are the essentials when it comes to creation? Here's what we think the essentials is. God is the creator of all things from nothing, however long it took him, and by whatever means he used. Okay, that's essential. Does that make sense? So if we can agree on that, we're good. So what you believe about Genesis 1 is in no way essential to salvation or your growth in Christ. I believe that Christians can have a wide range of beliefs on evolution, but here's what I think. It gets slippery for me when God stops being the creator and man stops being the center of creation, okay? So keep that in perspective. And so class is over, ding, ding. Now let's move to our heart. Can we do that? Because these questions all had to do with things we think. The next set are much more difficult because they come from our heart. These questions come from life experience. I got hurt. God didn't respond to me in the way that I thought that he should. One of my relatives went through terrible things. Is God good? So we're going to think with our heart just a little bit here. Here are the questions. Why does God allow awful things to happen? Natural disasters, birth defects, epidemics, and all of that kind of thing. And here's another part of it. Why can't God save deserving believers from sickness? 
They lose their lives. They suffer terribly. All kind of questions are condensed into this that you guys ask. And prayer doesn't seem to help. What do I do? How do I believe about God? See, they come from a deep emotional place. If you live long enough, you will come to one of those moments. You will come to a moment when you go, God, where are you? God, how did, why didn't you intervene in that situation? God, if you're good, if you're good, if you're good. And let me tell you something. Until you settle this question, you will have that over and over and over again. You'll have it over again. So how can we settle it? My mom was in her, in her 40s, late 40s, when they found a rare form of breast cancer. The C word, cancer, was something that we knew other people went through, but we didn't go through it. Never happened in our family. Mom went in and out of remission over the next five years. We thank God for the years that we had. She was turned down for radical treatment by the insurance companies for treatment that was deemed radical, which now is fairly standard. In fact, there are women in this church that I know who are brave survivors of breast cancer who had the exact thing that my mother had and took radical treatment and have been clear for 15, 20 years. 20 years. Um, mom was prayed for by the best. Our family prayed for her constantly. Joel Osteen's mother, Dodie, lived in the same town as mom did, and she would call mom and encourage her and pray for her because she had received a healing in a similar situation. All of our friends prayed. Her church family prayed. But mom died. And before she died, she suffered horribly. The cancer metastasized at one point into her brain, which caused us to make decisions as family, which no family should have to, have to ever make. Um, before she died for lengthy periods of time, she was in a coma in a hospital room. Now, we had small gifts from God through this whole time. I can remember it was 1991. And it was July of 1991. Mom died in August of 1991. But Debbie and I were in Houston for an extended period of time just to be with her. And we would spend our days basically in the hospital, just in the waiting room. We had other family in there. and Not waiting room, actually in her room. And uh, so July 30th is our wedding anniversary. And so we left the room for a few minutes to go to our favorite restaurant, Papacitas in Houston. It'll be in heaven. Uh, great Mexican food. There will be Mexican food in heaven. But... Uh, um, I'm just going to leave it at that. But so we went out that night and we had a meal. And actually, Liza Manella, Manelli was at the table next to us. I don't know if she was excited about seeing me as I was her, but anyway, she was there. And so we came back to the hospital after our meal. And I always talked to mom as if she was there because you just never know. And so I bent down and I said, Mom, Debbie and I celebrated our 15th anniversary. Remember? being there when we got married and we celebrated that tonight we went out to eat and I told her all of that and suddenly mom was there and she began to sing this little song that we sang in the little church I grew up in for anybody that would have an anniversary we'd say who's having an anniversary today and we'd sing happy anniversary to you a happy anniversary to you my mom sang the whole song to me on that it's just a gift from God it's a gift from God and then she went back to sleep. 
Never, never talked to her again, at least had her respond to me before she died. She died, I came to hate cancer, and I still do. I resented insurance companies. I've worked my way through that mostly. I longed for her advice in raising teenagers. I wished I could have just given her a call. I said, Mom, how do you deal with this? I made a list of all the things that Mom would never do in my mind. There was always the empty chair at the wedding of our children. We remembered her, but she wasn't there. She never would see her great-grandkids. She would never meet you. That, mean, that means a lot to me. I'm afraid God let her see that. I think maybe he has, but I wanted her to see you and what God has done among us. But to be fair, there's a second list. You know, she never buried a child. Never had the heartache of that. She never experienced the heartbreak of divorce. She never again experienced the heartache of rejection. You know, oftentimes when we're in the grief process, we dwell on the first list and we forget that there, there's another list. I found myself, when mom died, a lot more interested in eternal matters. You know, we, we, we all know that we're going to die someday, but we forget it. I like to say that the mortality rate is around 100% here in Mount Pleasant. It means we're all going to die. But we live like we're going to live forever until somebody dies that's close to us, until we have an investment on the other side, and then we get more interested in it. And I got a lot more interested in it. I studied every scripture that I could on heaven. I did some great series here and some sermons on heaven. Discovered a book a little bit later by Randy Alcorn just called heaven. I've become a peddler of that. And through all my study and just thinking, I came to a couple of conclusions. And they're found in Psalm 136 and verse 1, first one. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And you know when something difficult that you don't think is good happens, that's hard to do. But at some point, you've got to come to a place of trust that says, you know what, God, I don't understand. I'm going to have to offer a sacrifice of thanks because I believe you're good. Your love endures forever. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is fair in all of his ways and faithful in everything that he does. That's either true or it's not true. In my mind, I've settled those two. God is good and God is faithful. Couldn't God have healed mom? Sure he could. Could God have, have halted a, a bullet, have, have made a gun not work that took a loved one of yours' life? He could have. Could God have redirected nature when that hurricane or that earthquake happened? And yeah, I believe he could. But here's something else I believe. Earlier I said that love is so important. I think love is the ultimate value of the universe. Jesus said if you don't get anything else right, get this right. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. Love is the ultimate, ultimate value of the universe. Love requires freedom. Freedom of choice. See, you can't require somebody to love you. You can't walk into your own home. You can't walk into an office. You can't walk into a church and require everybody love you. You can get compliance, trust me. If you're mean enough, 
And if the consequences are bad enough, you can get people to do things, but you can't force them to love you because love is a choice. You have to be able to choose to love. And God could have kept my mother alive from cancer. He could have kept my best friend from dying in a car wreck way too soon. He could keep you from making a bad choice. He could keep you from walking out in front of traffic. He could make every decision that you make the right one. But in order to do it, he'd have to take away your freedom to choose, which is the very thing that makes us humans. It would be in existence, but it wouldn't be life as we know it. And at some point, you and I have to come to a place of trust. What kind of trust? It's trust that he is working things out for our good. But here's what's hard is that we think we know what's best about everything. I'm just going to get gut level honest with you. I'm talking about stuff that I know about. I'm only giving you one story. I can tell you heartache that we've walked through as a family. We have, the hardest thing is to, is to have a, a spirit of humility that says, I don't know what's best. God does know what's best because we think that we know. And, and when God doesn't respond in a way that we think that he should, then we shake an angry fist at God and we take the high moral ground of the God of the universe thinking we know best. There's a, there's a story about a Middle Eastern man who, uh, who had a horse. And his horse got away one time. And his... Uh, his neighbor came over and he said, oh, that's bad luck, that's bad news. The man said, I don't know what to think about luck and bad news. Next day, the horse returns and he brings 20 wild horses with him. The neighbor says, oh, what a good thing. This is great luck, great fortune. The man says, I don't know what to think about good luck, great fortune, or bad fortune. The very next day, the man's son is trying to break one of the horses, trying to tame him, and he, instead he breaks his leg. The man comes over and he says, oh, that's terrible. That's bad. It, it would be better if you never had a horse. And the man said, I don't know what to think about good and bad and terrible and good luck and bad luck. Next day, there comes a gang that comes through his village, and they're trying to recruit every, every able-bodied <clears throat> young man to be a part of what they're doing. And they come to take his son, and they look, and his leg's broken, and they leave him there and don't recruit him. And I could go on and on and on. This is why, at this point in my life, I'm very slow to put the good or bad tag on something that happens. Because the only way you know is if you're omniscient. If you know the future, if you know what's going to happen, then you could say, that happened today and that was a bad thing. Other than that, there's no way to know. And so I've got to humble myself before an almighty God and say, I don't know what's best. See, we don't know why things happen. Rather than rush to judgment, why not wait until we stand face to face with our creator before we pass judgment? I said earlier I like to take pictures. I'm not a great photographer, but I've got some favorites. I've got them on my computer, and I thought I'd bring one of them to you today. It's a picture of a flower that I took at a botanical gardens in Denver, Colorado. 
And I'm pretty proud of it. I think it's a beautiful picture. Take a look at this. What do you think? Huh? I'm a little offended that you're laughing at me. This picture means a lot to me. You're just not seeing it in perspective. Does this help? Put it down there. Does that help? No? Okay. How about this? How about this? Does that make it better? So, when something happens in life, what do you see? What do you see? You see that right there. What does God see? The whole picture. The whole picture. And trust is coming to a place where you say, I trust the God of the universe that he is creating something beautiful (coughs) out of my life, out of my loved one's life, out of the universe. In fact, the Bible says that our ultimate destination isn't here, but where we're going, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, the mind of man has not conceived the things that I have for you. And either that's true or it's not true. See, I believe that God could eliminate all evil in the world, but if he did, he'd take away our ability to choose, to choose love. So what he does do is this, Romans eight twenty eight: God causes everything to work together. It doesn't say God causes everything, because this is, this is earth, this isn't heaven. Bad things happen to good people. But God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He weaves them into a beautiful picture of our lives. And we have a choice. We can live our lives in bitterness. It's hard. But sometimes it's just hard to know. Or we can live our lives in trust and in faith. Let me conclude with this. To believe that God is is, and that God is good requires faith. In fact, Hebrews 11, 6, it's not on your outline sheet. You may want to write it down. It says, and without faith, <clears throat> excuse me, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe two things, that he exists, number one, and that he rewards, he's good, those who earnestly seek him. So if you're going to follow God, if you're going to live the life that Jesus has for you, which is an abundant life, I believe, you're going to, it's going to require faith. You've got to believe, first of all, and settle in your mind that there is a God and that God is good. He is just in all that he does. If you don't settle that, then you're going to over and over and over and over again get just hit with crazy thoughts and ideas and every time something doesn't go right in your mind you're going to be sent for a loop so to believe requires faith but here's the surprising thing to not believe requires more faith see you must believe that all things exist that that exist came into being on its own without a creator to have to not believe means that it all just happened. That simple became complex, complex became man, man developed a conscience. And it all happened without the help of a higher power. For me, as I said earlier, that's a leap too far. For me, I'd rather believe in a God that I can't see. And sometimes, I just don't understand. 
I'd rather believe in a God who created the universe around me, leaving evidence of his, of his presence, fingerprints on his creation, a God who tells me that he loves me, who invites me into relationship with him and promises me that the best is yet to come. See, that's what I believe. And that's who I put my faith in. And I invite you, Seacoast Church, to join me on that journey of faith. Would you bow for closing prayer? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the wonderful group that's gathered here on the internet, wherever we happen to be. And God, I pray that in the next few minutes that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives. Help us to deal with our doubts and our unbelief, our hurts. God, help us to see who you really are, to get a little glimpse of you. We just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.